Look around, what do you see? Cars, lots of them. And guess what? They're probably on Auto Trader. Whether you're into timeless classics or the latest trends, did somebody say solar-powered, eco-friendly, vegan, leather-wrapped, aromatherapy-scented, disco ball-equipped, self-driving car? If you see it on the road, you can likely find it on Auto Trader. Big cars, small cars, blue cars, new cars, used cars, electric cars, and one day, maybe even flying cars. With millions of options to choose from, buying a car becomes a whole lot easier. See it. Find it. Auto Trader. It's been almost 3,000 years, and Greek mythology has proved that it is not going anywhere. But it can be difficult to find entertaining and engaging retellings of these myths that aren't fictionalized. Lucky for you, I'm here. Let's Talk About Myths Baby is the Greek mythology and ancient history podcast of your dreams. I dive into the convoluted and confusing ancient sources so you don't have to. Listen to Let's Talk About Myths Baby on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Stuff You Should Know, a production of iHeartRadio. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh, and there's Chuck, and this is Stuff You Should Know, the podcast. That's right. This is our octopus-adjacent uh, continued love for cephalopods episode on one of the weirdest looking creatures on planet Earth, the squid. Mm-hmm. Not just weird looking, Chuck, also pretty smart, wily, cannibalistic, and beaked. Yeah, they're weird looking animals, man. The squid, imagine if a human had its face in its belly button mm-hmm. and no arms, and that's kind of what a squid is. Right, and also our esophagus went through our brain on the way to our stomach. Imagine that. That is really weird. They they look like they're, uh, they look sort of like an octopus wearing a, a big uh, papal hat. <laughs> there you go. Let's just sit here and like, take weird descriptions of, <laughs> of squid for the rest of the episode because I like it. They're very, very strange creatures, but they are awesome. And like you said, <clears throat> uh, possibly as smart as dogs. Yeah, we'll get to that for sure. But um, squid have been around for a very long time. Exactly when is not quite certain, but at least 100 million years from what I've seen. And um, since that time, there there have been either a plethora of species, 300, or it's been whittled down to 300 species. I'm not entirely certain. But those 300 species of squid are basically divided between two suborders of squid. And for my money, Chuck, I love it when suborders are like, these are like this, and those are like that, and that's that. And this is one of those instances. You've got myopsida and oegopsida. Oegopsida. <laughs> I practiced, too. Oh, yeah? Didn't, yeah, I did, and it didn't pay off. I thought, so that's that's the lesson here, everybody. Don't practice. <laughs> don't even bother. I figured one of those in the second group, one of those first two letters would have been silent, but they're both pronounced, huh? That's that's my take of um, Latin pronunciation. Oegopsida. Oh, <laughs> uh, all right, so we'll talk a little bit about a few examples of the myopsida suborder first. Uh, these fellows live in a pretty shallow water compared to their friends. And mm-hmm. as you'll see, some, you know, squid, uh, certainly the giant squid, live very, 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 very uh, in very deep waters. Um, but the that first group has uh, suckers only. And as you will see, that's uh, not unusual, but that's just one thing that they can have on those tentacles. 
Uh, they have a mm-hmm. transparent membrane that covers their eyeballs. And here's a few of those dudes. Uh, one very common one is the California market squid. And they live in uh, very shallow waters in uh, the eastern Pacific, basically from Mexico all the way up to Alaska. Yeah, I saw that that Alaska is recent, as, as recent as 2015, and that they think they're moving northward because of climate change, actually. Tons of these in the Monterey Bay, and uh, where they're fished very heavily. And by the way, uh, we should thank OceanBites.org. Uh, and it's not a seafood website, believe it or not. Uh, the, okay. The Guardian, uh, The Spruce Eats, which is a food website, and mm-hmm. our old friends at How Stuff Works for most of this stuff. Yep. Um, there's also the common European squid for our listeners in the UK. Hey, everybody, these are the squid that you swim with every day. They're found in the Mediterranean. You could also find them in the Atlantic, the eastern Atlantic. And they um, are a little less shallow than the California market squid. They swim anywhere from 20 to 250 meters, which is 65 to 850 feet. And they weigh up to about three pounds on average, and they're about 16 inches long. Um, So it's like a good-sized, decent-sized squid that you have to hold with, like, two hands, you know, if you're picking one up out of the water, which you shouldn't do. No, you shouldn't do that. Uh, Then you've got your Caribbean uh, reef squid. uh, Obviously, lives in the Caribbean and then off the Florida coast. And these, you know, this is where you'll find the first mention of the cuttlefish, um, C-U-T-T, not cuddle as in cuddling up with one. Uh, Mm -hmm. They look a little more like a cuttlefish, but... A cuttlefish is a cephalopod along with the octopus, and those three, um, there's a lot of similarities uh, between these three um, little fishies, and so you're going to hear things about the cuttlefish and some about the octopus as well. Yeah, you just can't talk about squid and not mention the octopus, which I'm sure just really burns squid's hash, you know? (laughs) Sure. So then you've got the oogopsida that are... Um, the deep-dwelling ones, like you said. There's the short-finned squid, which lives in the Atlantic from Florida to Newfoundland. Um, they have actually a long uh, migration. They, they go to warmer waters to lay their eggs, which is um, an unusual characteristic for squid. Um, what else is there for oogopsida, Chuck? Well, this one's really interesting. The deep-sea luminescent squid, uh, they live about 3,000 feet down in the North Atlantic, and then you can find them um, in different parts all over the world, New Zealand and Australia, Japan, um, also Hawaii and Bermuda. And they live, you know, so deep, it's really dark down there. And they actually, you know, we've talked about bioluminescence before. Uh, mm-hmm. I think a whole episode on bioluminescence. And I don't know if we mentioned this squid because the deep sea luminescent squid does practice uh, or is capable of bioluminescence <laughs> and mm-hmm. have these photophore organs that, that light up the deep dark darkness of the deep sea the deep darkness of the deep sea i like that i saw uh, yeah i do too i saw somewhere that those squid and other luminescing squids um like they do that to communicate with one another as much as to hunt prey but it does make sense that they would have to do this because squid are primarily um their primary sense is eyesight they have really sharp eyesight although as we'll see interestingly they're colorblind which is going to make something really snappy eventually that's right. Uh, and what about this Humboldt squid? I like this guy. Seven to 15 feet long, as much as 100 pounds. Got it's kind a of squid. a. It is. And it looks, it's got kind of a, a reddish skin. So they call them the red devil because they're also really brutal um, when they attack their prey. And they'll even go after sharks. I saw that they'll go after whales sometimes too. So they don't mess around. They're in the Eastern Pacific. So I guess around Humboldt County, California. 
So you know what they're doing. <laughs> yeah. They're, you know why they got those red eyes. They're smoking seaweed. Uh, oh, very good. Uh, so we want to shout out something else that is not exactly a squid, um, but we do need to shout out the vampire squid from hell. Uh, they do call it a squid, but uh, it's actually a, a well, the, what they call it is a, a vampiromorpha from, mm-hmm. what is the order? No, that's the order. What's the species? That's the order. Vampirotuthus infernalis, which means vampire right. squid from hell. Yeah, very scary sounding name. And again, it's not exactly a squid, even though it does, um, it is a cephalopod, but it's sort of like, the way I described it on this uh, video was, it's like a, the rep- a representation of a cephalopod before they split into octopus and squid. So it's mm-hmm. a really ancient creature. Uh, they're known as living fossils, basically. They live below 600 meters in what's called the oxygen minimum zone. And wow. there's just not a lot of oxygen down there. And so they have a very low metabolic rate and mainly just sort of, they do have eight arms and not 10. Uh, so they have the arms like an octopus instead of a squid. But they mainly just float around and they don't move much because of the so little, uh, because of the lack of oxygen. And the way they eat is really cool. They have these, uh, uh, they're not car- carnivores. They eat what's called marine snow, which is just sort mm. of the detritus that's floating around, like little bits and pieces of fish skin and and fish poop and stuff uh, <laughs> that kind of looks like snow in the deep darkness. And they have these little lines that they throw out from their body, uh, sort of like a fishing line almost that's several feet long, and the snow just sort of collects on it. It's really sticky. And when they mm. get enough stuff, they put it in their mouth and then just sort of pull it back out again like a bare chicken bone in a in a Tom and Jerry cartoon and wow. all that all that marine snow is now in their body really interesting though um i want to give a shout out to the big fin squid too did you see that that link yeah that thing's that thing's all arms yeah cuz a lot of the the um the squid out there like especially the myopsida squid they're fairly evenly proportioned between tentacle and head for the most part. Or at the very least, it's not wildly disproportionate. That's not the case with the big fin squid. It's very little head and body, lots and lots of arms, up to 21 feet long, arms and tentacles. And um, they are probably the deepest dwelling squid. They've been recorded up to 20,380 feet down in the Philippine Sea, and only 12 recorded sightings have taken place, which I think is pretty neat. That's pretty amazing. Gotta look squid. up a picture of these. These are cool. Yeah, sure. And the vampire squid too. Yeah, I don't think we said that it has it looks like a vampire cape too. Yeah, that's where it gets the name, right? And the yeah. red eyes. Yeah, they're very, very creepy looking. Um, all right. So squids are mollusks, uh, but they don't look like other mollusks that you know of because mm-hmm. they don't have an outer shell. What they have is a soft body with the shell on the inside, which is uh, pretty remarkable and I didn't really see anything evolutionarily that I could point to to sort of explain this. Well, yeah. So the only thing I saw is that it supports the internal organs. And it's called a pen. But why it's on the inside rather than the outside, I, I don't understand that either. It just makes squid that much more interesting, you know? Well, and that much more vulnerable. Uh, it, right. They had a big hard outer shell that's obviously like an armor for a mollusk. So uh, I don't know. Maybe they missed the memo. <laughs> <laughs> I guess so. So there are also cephalopods too, right? Which um, includes octopus, cuttlefish, the nautilus, which is a distantly related cephalopod, and then squid. 
Uh, and then you've got the cephalopods that are eight-armed, the octopods. And then you've got the ten-armed decapods, cuttlefish and squid. And technically, squid have eight tentacles and two arms. But together, that's ten. Yeah, and I think those two arms are sort of more like arms uh, than tentacles, right? Aren't they kind of shorter and mm -hmm. uh, like function a little more like grabby arms? Yeah, they can deal a deck of cards. Uh -huh. They can drive a car. <laughs> sure. There's a lot of stuff those arms can do, but they usually have them kind of retracted up. And then w the, the ones that use their arms to catch prey, they shoot them out and grab prey and then bring them back toward them, which is pretty amazing. So their arms are usually much longer than their tentacles in a lot of the species. Yeah, and you mentioned that we don't know exactly when squids came about. Uh, we do know that cephalopods uh, came about during what's known as the Cambrian Explosion about mm -hmm. 500 million years ago when a lot of uh, new animal groups emerged. But squids, uh, they, they split off at some point, like you said, between these uh, octopods and decapods, but we're not exactly sure how long ago. A couple of hundred no, I, million years probably, right? I saw I saw anywhere from like 200 million to 100 to 160 million, uh -huh. and I saw it placed within the Mesozoic Marine Revolution, which apparently is a time when a lot of um, different things evolved harder shells, and then other predators evolved ways to break through those shells. It was like a real, um, just kind of like an arms race in, in the ocean um, during that time for evolution, and that's when squid would have come along from what I saw. I like that, an arms race. Yeah, so, chemical race. So <laughs> uh, we did discuss the fact that some of these, like if you haven't gotten the picture now, they have a very large size range because we did mention the small ones. There are some that are just like an inch long, just a tiny little squid. Uh, mm -hmm. And then eventually we're going to get to the Colossus <laughs> and the giant squids, which these are the, you know, the stuff of legend of the deep sea from like, you know, ancient seafarers of seeing these huge, like Kraken-like beasts. And these are huge. They're like 60 plus feet long. And uh, it's just amazing to me that you can have something that kind of looks the same that's an inch and then 60 feet long. Yeah, it's pretty neat. Um, the 60 feet long, yeah, and they're all like equally interesting too. But the um, the smaller ones are typically going to be coastal ones, right? And the bigger ones are more suited for deep deep sea, I'm guessing. Oh, absolutely. You're not going to see a 65-foot squid swing, swimming in the ocean very close to you. <laughs> oh, my God. Thank God. Pretty unnerving. So one of the things that really uh, has always like um, boiled my pot about squids is that they have a parrot-shaped beak, a lot yeah. of the species do, in the, the center where their arms come together. There's a mouth, and it often has a beak, and then a bony tongue called the radula. And those arms will shoot out, grab some poor unsuspecting fish that goes, help me, help me, as the squid pulls it closer and closer to its mouth, and then its beak tears into it and tears it into pieces. Man. And it's really important that it tears it into smaller pieces because the radula forces those pieces down the, uh, I guess, the squid's gullet. And again, it has to pass through the esophagus that goes through the brain, so you don't want a big old chunk getting lodged in your esophagus in your brain area. <laughs> God. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's pretty frightening when you see pictures of this beak. I mean, squid are not to be, is it squids or squid? It sounds like it would be squid, but I think it is squids. No, so I saw squid is plural for squid. Oh, okay. Right? But if you're talking about a bunch of different species of squid, you would probably say squids. Ah, 
Okay, that's the distinction. I don't remember where I saw that, though, or else I'd shout them out. So you mentioned that they're smart. Uh, there has been, and I believe this was just in 2020, uh, the year 2020, that is, when they finally put an MRI on a squid because they had pretty good ideas that they were intelligent. Um, but they found that some of these squid have 500 million neurons. And if that sounds like a lot of neurons for an animal like this, you're right. Because mm -hmm. like a, a, a rat, and rats are pretty smart, they have about 200 million. If you look at a regular ordinary mollusk, they only have about 20,000. So 500 million neurons is more along the lines of what you might find in a dog. Yeah. So that's where I, I was wondering, like, how, do they, how are they equating intelligence between a dog and a squid? That makes sense. You know, rather than brain size in relation to body size, which we kind of poo-pooed in the um, origin of intelligence episode, uh, like the number of neurons is actually a pretty good kind of indicator or for comparison, I would guess. The thing is, I, I saw this described somewhere, I can't remember where, that what is what squid intelligence or octopus intelligence is is probably so radically different and mm -hmm. alien from what human intelligence is or even what dog intelligence is because dogs humans monkeys rats we're all distantly related to fish whereas squid and octopods they evolved from like basically sea slugs on a different totally different family lineage so their intelligence generated or evolved differently independently from human intelligence. And I also saw that possibly the octopus was the first intelligent being on Earth. So to compare our intelligence, there is definitely overlap and crossover. Yeah. Um, but there, it's, there's just no telling what their experience of life is like. But it's just so fascinating to think that they have their own brand of intelligence and they're experiencing life through that intellect. And we'll just never get it, just like they could never fully get our intellect either. Yeah, because I think that... Walking around on Earth, we tend to think of intelligence as like, for animals, is like if they're trainable or something. Right. And like, can you teach a squid to sit and say, uh, say please, roar, roar, and roar. roll over and <laughs> play dead? And it's a different kind of intelligence. But um, why don't we take a break and we'll talk about uh, another part of their weird kind of intelligence right after the break? Yeah. <laughs> Oh, hi, I'm Rachel Zoe, and I'm back for another season of my podcast, Climbing in Heels. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as fully obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. My podcast, Climbing in Heels, is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season, we're taking things up a notch. I'll be talking to some incredible women across so many industries, from models and beauty industry stars to doctors, entrepreneurs, and TV personalities. Climbing in Heels is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Every week, listeners will be able to ask me any questions. I'm answering it all. My life is absolutely crazy with so much going on, and I'm so beyond excited to bring you along for the ride. Whether we're talking red carpet looks, current trends, or products I'm obsessed with, I'm here to be your fashion fairy godmother. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
Who hasn't heard names like Achilles or Odysseus, Cassandra, Medusa? But how much do you know about them from the ancient world? Let's Talk About Myths, Baby is the podcast bringing the ancient sources to life. Greek myth and history is timeless, and unless you've been living under a rock, you have seen just how true that is today. But there is so much more to these characters and stories than what pop culture can do justice. I'm Liv Albert, the host of Let's Talk About Myths, Baby, and every week I bring you stories from the ancient world, both mythological and historical, to breathe new life into these thousands of years old stories. I'm also regularly joined by some of the most brilliant names in the field of archaeology and ancient history, authors of your favorite retellings from today, and everyone in between. Join me as I dive into the wild world of the ancient Greeks and their stories. Listen to Let's Talk About Myths, Baby on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to, to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, so we talked about squid intelligence and how it's a different kind of intelligence, but they're super smart. Um, one thing that we need to mention, and uh, for like a full, the full lowdown on chromatophores, I think we should just refer people to the great octopus episode. Um, but they do have these... Um, these chromatophores on their body and they're able to um, camouflage themselves. They're able to change the, the size and shape and color of these uh, pigment cells on their skin or, you know, mm-hmm. just under their skin to where they can, you know, you've seen octopuses do it to where they camouflage themselves in remarkable ways to where they even take the shape of something like a reef yeah. or something that they're hiding next to. But squid actually have what they called 
or what they refer to, or at least males do, a skin-powered alphabet. And they can literally, uh, well, again, I don't know if it's literally, I don't know if I'm being that guy that uses that word wrong, <laughs> but they say that squid can do things like say, I love you through their through those chromatophores <laughs> to a female squid. And it's not just like, oh, it gives off some mating scent. Like it literally right. has like a, a sort of alphabet that it can spell out things. And again, it's this is squid language. Uh, but that's what they equate it to, at least. They say, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Hey, okay, so I have two questions now that you brought up the octopus episode. Okay. Are octopus still your favorite animal of all time? Because I'm pretty sure you declared them that in that episode. Uh, I mean, and they're, they're, my they're, se- they're up there. Beep. Okay, so they're still up there, but they're not necessarily your favorite? They're, they're, they may be. Let's just say that. Okay, fair enough. The second question I have is, what happened to you in the rope trauma? <laughs> you should ask that once a year till the end of time. Okay. All right, Maybe in our final enough. episode ever, I'll reveal that. That'll be a nice little oh, teaser. Oh, that is a great. You'll be like, let me tell you about <laughs> right? my rope trauma. <laughs> oh, it was a day in 1987. <laughs> I'd be like, Chuck, you're 55. What happened to you? <laughs> um. All right, so, I mean, squids are smart. Can we just put a nail in that one? Yeah, sure, but don't nail a squid to a board. That's an awful thing to do. No, no, don't do that. I think it bears saying, because I'm going to get up on my soapbox when we talk about eating squid, okay? Yeah, let's do it. You want to talk about eating squid now? No, 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 let's do that eventually. Oh, I see. (laughs) Okay, I got you. I mistook what you were meaning. I've got squid intellect as best. I think we should talk about squid sex and then squid ink. Okay, let's talk about squid sex, Chuck, because it gets kind of freaky, gets a little nasty. Um, and they have like uh, like sexual reproduction, which means that they they go, they get it on. <laughs> they, they hug and kiss. <laughs> right. Are we adopting that? Is no, that no, the no. official SYSK terminology? No, term? we can't steal it from Hodgman. That's, that's his deal. We could if we give him a shout out and mention like his Twitter handle every time we do. I'm sure he'd appreciate that. <laughs> no. No, we can't steal someone else's bet. <laughs> Even okay. though I keep saying it. Yeah. I'm just trying to pave the way to <laughs> full acceptance one way or the other. All right. Can we talk about squid sex? <laughs> yeah, Baby? I tried to I tried to lay it out there. Well, here's what happens. Uh the male squid has sperm uh that mm-hmm. are produced in testes or testis. And uh, they, this, this sperm is stored in a sack, and when they do mate, the male has this special arm that transfers packets of sperm to the female's mouth cavity. And that sounds yeah, because, uh, very unusual, but that's where the eggs are, right? Right. That's where it makes sense. That's when it all kind of comes home, and everybody can go, oh, okay, all right, cool. <laughs> and did you make squ- scare quotes when you said arm, special arm? Uh, sure. With it kind of sounded like it. Yeah, I think so. So then after the uh, eggs are fertilized, the female um, squid basically spits them out in what's termed or what's um, described as a gelatinous mass of fertilized eggs. And I assumed that like she would just kind of let them float away and that was that. Because as we'll see, the squid life cycle is really short, um, especially shallow coastal squid live maybe for a year. And the big thing that they do is reproduce. But it turns out, Chuck, that the female squid actually goes and grabs the fertilized eggs and then 
sets about hiding them in different places in the in the little habitat where she um, just gave birth to them or laid them, I guess is what you'd say. Yeah, and she does this before she dies because I think usually uh, both the male and the female usually die after they mate, right? Yeah. It's very sad. Yeah, that's the, it is kind of sad. That's like the big thing they do. It's weird. Well, one of the big things they do is ink. And I think this is a good time to talk about squid ink because – um, it's great in pasta. I love that squid ink pasta. Hmm. You don't yeah. like squid ink pasta? <laughs> no, I is don't. This all, is this part of your uh, soapbox? I'm just, I'm reserving it for now. <laughs> all right. I love squid ink pasta. So let me ask you though, does it actually taste like anything or is it like the power of suggestion kind of thing? Like, uh, oh, my pasta's black. Oh, no, no, no. It tastes completely different than regular pasta. What does it taste like? Have you never had squid ink? So you've never had squid ink pasta? No, I haven't. Oh, okay. Yeah, it tastes completely different. It's very, very rich. Um, It tastes, uh, it's very briny. Um, Mm -hmm. It has a different consistency. Uh, Yeah, yeah. It's not just like they add it and just to say, oh, look, it's black. Like, it it imparts a taste. I got to try this stuff. I mean, I think it's delicious. I don't have it a lot because you don't (laughs) find it on a ton of menus, but. Uh, there's one place here in Decatur that, that has it, and I love it. So that is one use of squid ink, right? Another use is writing. Another use is an anti-cancer, anti-retroviral, um, and antimicrobial drug. Yeah. It's so funny. We go from, like, the most basic use of squid ink to some really advanced technology with squid ink because it turns out that there's a lot more to squid ink than just pigment. And the pigment itself is actually one of the reasons why that that ink can be used to produce all these different drugs. It has a bunch of weird stuff in it. That's right. Um, There's this – one of the main things that is in squid ink is – well, there's a couple of things. Uh, There's mucus in there. Um, Mm -hmm. If you're eating – squid ink pasta, uh, you take the ink directly from the sack. So there's none of the the mucus in there. Uh, But melanin is one of the main components of cephalopod ink, right? Yeah, there's melanin in there. There's also um, catecholamines, peptidoglycans. I practiced all these too, Chuck. Um, Free amino acids, or sorry, acids. Uh, and metals, right? And you've got all this stuff in there, and you're just like, well, why? This is just ink. Why does this stuff matter? We're not entirely certain. Like, we've, we've been talking about squid ink since the time of Aristotle for, you know, almost 2,500 years, and we don't really understand it much better than Aristotle did. We just kind of know a little more what's in it. We just don't really know all the stuff that it does. Yeah, and we don't know everything about just exactly why we know some of the reasons why they squirt ink Uh, one Mm -hmm. is certainly a defense Uh, they'll shoot out an ink cloud and get away Uh, it's pretty remarkable Uh, some squid can um, kind of cast it out in a pattern to look like something else like sometimes look like another uh, marine life basically uh, which Mm -hmm. is really amazing when you think about it Um, (laughs) and we know kind of how it happens but we we there's still so much we don't know about the ink. Um, we know it's generated and stored in this ink sack, and that there is an ink gland in there, and then they they almost kind of poop it out. It feeds into the rectum, and mm-hmm. it's controlled by a sphincter, and it basically sort of ejects it with this funnel organ um, from the anus and out into this cloud into. Uh, it's really interesting, and they can make it into different shapes. I'm kind of wondering like how that's done. 
<laughs> right? You know? Like, I, I imagine, you know, the old Roadrunner cartoons where Roadrunner would take off so fast there was like a dust yeah. version of Roadrunner. That's, That's kind of what I like. imagine these things doing, right? Yeah. Um, the thing is, is it's not, it's, it's not as straightforward as it sounds where they just shoot some ink and form an ink smoke screen or an ink Roadrunner and confuse their prey. Um, because of all these different you know, components to squid ink, along with this mucus that they sometimes introduce to varying degrees, it can have all sorts of different effects. And they think that, like, you know, if you add a bunch of mucus, they're trying to affect, like, a fish nearby that's trying to get them because they've sh- they've shown that, like, the mucus affects the gills. They also think that um, dopamine and L-dopa, which are melanin precursors, but also neurotransmitters in humans, actually activate the olfactory receptors on squid's tentacles and so it's a way of communicating too. Like they're they're communicating with other squid by transferring this ink to their tentacles in a way, which is pretty amazing in and of itself. Well, yeah. So they're what they're able to do. It's amazing is that they're actually mixing up for whatever purpose they have. They're mixing up their ink in different proportions with the other stuff to accomplish a different thing. And I right. guess they're De- they're doing this on the fly to a certain degree. Yeah. Probably without even thinking, really. Um, they're, they're, yeah, and they're just doing it depending on the context and the situation, like adding a little more ink, a little more, maybe a little more melanin, a little more mucus, a little less mucus, whatever it is, uh, whatever the situation calls for. And then the other cool thing about them inking, supposedly they're, they and cuttlefish and octopuses are the only ones that ink. I couldn't find any other animal that inks. Yeah. And they have different color inks. I think squid is blue-black typically. Which, um, yeah, I think it's blue-black. The other thing that they do when they ink is they take off really fast. I mean, some of them can cover 25 body lengths in a second. Like, that's how fast they take off. That's basically like, uh, here I am, now I'm not here anymore. That's that's pretty amazing stuff. Yeah, and they do that. Don't they kind of make their body into like a jet propulsion system? They suck in water. And mm-hmm. then contract really quickly and then just shoot it out the other side? Yeah, it's essentially the same principle as a jet engine, except they don't introduce, you know, gasoline or some sort of fuel into it. They just do it strictly with water compression and expulsion. But it is the, the exact same the exact same principle, and it does get them going really, really fast. So you combine an uh, ink cloud that's in the shape of the Roadrunner and the squid getting out of there 25 body lengths a second. Um, it's going to make it tough for a predator to get their hands on that squid. Yeah, absolutely. Um, one of the kind of uh, frustrating parts of the the whole squidding thing is they're, they don't really know how or why this evolved, um, and there really aren't even a whole lot of theories. But one of them that sounds pretty promising to me is that um, you talked about melanin being uh, really good at dissipating UV radiation was mm-hmm. that part of the reason they evolved to have to be able to shoot this ink is to protect their eyes uh, from light damage. And we know they have those sensitive eyes. So that may, um, and then they just had like an excess of it. So it eventually evolved to where they could store it in a sack and use it for defense. Yeah. That's very thrifty of them. <laughs> Should we take an, our second break? Sure. All right, let's take another break, and we'll talk about the really interesting squids, or the deep-sea monster squids, right after this. Oh, 
Hi, I'm Rachel Zoe, and I'm back for another season of my podcast, Climbing in Heels. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as fully obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. My podcast, Climbing in Heels, is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season, we're taking things up a notch. I'll be talking to some incredible women across so many industries, from models and beauty industry stars to doctors, entrepreneurs, and TV personalities. Climbing in Heels is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Every week, listeners will be able to ask me any questions. I'm answering it all. My life is absolutely crazy with so much going on, and I'm so beyond excited to bring you along for the ride. Whether we're talking red carpet looks, current trends, or products I'm obsessed with, I'm here to be your fashion fairy godmother. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Who hasn't heard names like Achilles or Odysseus, Cassandra, Medusa? But how much do you know about them from the ancient world? Let's Talk About Myths, Baby is the podcast bringing the ancient sources to life. Greek myth and history is timeless, and unless you've been living under a rock, you have seen just how true that is today. But there is so much more to these characters and stories than what pop culture can do justice. I'm Liv Albert, the host of Let's Talk About Myths, Baby, and every week I bring you stories from the ancient world, both mythological and historical, to breathe new life into these thousands of years old stories. I'm also regularly joined by some of the most brilliant names in the field of archaeology and ancient history, authors of your favorite retellings from today, and everyone in between. Join me as I dive into the wild world of the ancient Greeks and their stories. Listen to Let's Talk About Myths, Baby on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. I'm thinking about it quite often. 
Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, Chuck, so it's time. We're talking finally about the giant squid, the colossal squid, the big old squid, uh, and all the, all the huge squids. We did one on sea monsters before, too, didn't we? Yeah, man. I think we, we might really have talked about this back then. Uh, there's no way we didn't because yeah. the, they think that the giant squid inspired a lot of stories over the years, right? Oh, absolutely. Uh, I mean, you see it all through literature from the Odyssey to 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea are mm-hmm. these accounts from uh, sailors about these monsters, these huge beasts of the deep sea. And um, it's one of those things where like, if we had never seen these, then it'd be real easy to say, oh, yeah, you know, these these are just seafaring stories and this is just lore and mm-hmm. folklore. But it's it's they are actually real creatures. They just uh, are so rarely seen and live in such deep waters that it's hard to photograph them. But it finally did happen in 2005, right? Yeah, and I don't really like this story because this is such an example of humans just being like, hey, we want to know. So we're going to yeah. kill you to find out. I hate that part about humans, you know? Yeah. Um, but in, in 2005, some marine biologists in, uh, from Japan had been, had been trying to track giant squids um, for, I think, three years at this point before they finally found one in person. And up to that point, they'd only seen them in the contents of sperm whale stomachs which they, I guess they killed too, uh, to look in to see what was inside. But sperm whales are the only predators of, of the giant squid. So the first time they finally saw one was in 2005, and um, they basically baited a line, and then the giant squid came, and really some terrible stuff happened after that. Yeah, the squid got caught up in the line. Um, I think it was about a four-hour hour struggle to get itself free. Mm-hmm. And it lost one of its tentacles in that struggle that they recovered that was 18 feet long. Mm-hmm. And uh, they did get photographs. And to me, this is where they should have been like, all right, well, we got the pictures that we wanted. Uh, to them, I guess it was a bonus that they got one of these 18-foot tentacles. Uh, sure. But they went back, and they captured this thing a year later. Uh, they, they couldn't just leave well enough alone. They actually went back and right. got this thing. Yeah, and they pulled it on the boat, and they made all of the all aboard um, beat it to death with sticks, which didn't Brutal. make any sense. But that's how they did. It. Yeah, <laughs> just kidding. They didn't actually do that. I don't think they were tiny sticks too. <laughs> right, it took forever. Um, so then, yeah, that was uh, that was the first time ever one was ever caught, um, and that was two thousand six. The next year after that, so if you really think about it, two thousand five, six, and seven were huge years for giant deep sea squid because in 2007 a colossal squid which is just a little bit smaller than a giant squid was caught um by a, a new zealand ship up uh in in or down in antarctica right yeah this one uh, weighed close to a thousand pounds had an eight foot mantle which is that pope hat and mm-hmm. uh, was 17 almost 18 feet total in length but if this giant squid had an 18 foot tentacle that they got a hold oh, yeah. of and we don't even yeah. know where the tentacle was cut. It could have been longer than that. Right. Uh, then that giant squid was really big. But, um, yeah, I don't – because here's the thing. I mean, this is bad enough, but we don't even know how many there are. I mean, that that giant squid could have been one of 50 worldwide. Right. You, like, you don't even know. And even yeah. though we said they only live about a year, 
it's it seems pretty obvious, and they believe that these giant squid um, are obviously much much older, and it's not like they grow to that big in a year. Yeah, for sure. So one thing that stuck out to me, Chuck, and I'm not sure how what your take will be on this, but um, that uh, colossal squid that was caught in 2007 uh, was reported uh, if they had cut it up into calamari, which I didn't realize this. Calamari is not the suckers; they're rings because they cut the mantle crossways. Did you know that? Yeah. Okay, I didn't know that. But they said that the calamari would have been the size of tractor tires. What do you think about that? <laughs> uh, I don't know. If it was an eight-foot mantle, a tractor tire seems pretty big. But because squid are kind of, they're not thin, but they're sort of elongated. So mm-hmm. yeah. uh, I'm just trying to picture something eight feet long that's as big around as a tractor. I guess it depends right. what kind of tractor. We talk in your... Uh, like a lawn tractor, like a John Deere, <laughs> yeah, maybe like a zero yeah. turn mower. <laughs> That's what they were saying. They let they put in in brackets. They put lawn before tractor, and it got edited out. All right, so I could I could buy that, but I don't know. That's I'm just trying to picture that, and it doesn't seem likely. But who knows? But the upshot of that is, is they caught the first colossal squid ever, and the news reported the, the what the size of the calamari would have been, which really kind of reveals our preoccupation with eating squid, if you ask me. That's right. Uh, the word calamari is actually Italian for squid. Um, and I, I quit eating this stuff when I saw my octopus teacher. Uh, uh, all this stuff was off the menu for me after that documentary. Yep. But, and I did talk about eating squid ink, so that's probably something I should stop. Because yeah, I don't think it, you get the squid ink without getting the squid. Yeah, they don't, like, keep a live squid and squeeze it and then throw it back in the ocean. They, really? Are you sure? They cut the squid up. I'm pretty sure they use the other stuff for calamari, too, right? I would guess. But also, you know, have squid ink maybe once a year. So it's not like, uh, not to let myself off the hook entirely, but it's not the kind of thing I'm eating every other day, you know? Yeah, but you make a good point. It's really, it, it it's hard to eat something that you know is intelligent, you know, and, yeah. and can suffer. And, and it is extremely hypocritical of me to even, you know, tout that because I eat chicken and I eat um, beef jerky all the time, like so much beef jerky. But um, those are animals too, and they can suffer. So I, I'm, I'm kind of hypocritical in that sense. But still, for me personally, I'm with you. I don't eat octopus or squid or pigs because of their intelligence that we're figuring out certainly a lot of calamari is served up in a lot of bad sports bars around the country um Mm -hmm. i think a lot of (laughs) people may not even understand what they're eating sometimes with calamari uh it's pretty clear when you get the little you know full bodied you know it's not just the ring like when you get the full body like hey this looks like a little tiny squid Mm-hmm. like that's been battered and fried. It's pretty clear what it is, but you don't, a lot of times you don't even get those. You just get the rings. Can you imagine the indignity of being an intelligent squid and knowing that you're going to eventually be served at a Buffalo Wild Wings cafe? <laughs> Eaten by somebody wearing a football jersey? Yeah. yeah. But has never played football actually in their life? One day I'm going to, I'm going to be passed through the gullet of a human and a hooters. <laughs> right. And their esophagus actually goes through their brain. Right. <laughs> yeah, so maybe, I mean, that's where we should cut it off. I mean, if you're into calamari, that's fine. There are plenty of ways to eat it. Uh, but I don't think we need to go into all the detail that the article goes into about all the, the great ways that you can cook it. No, but I will say I do have a personal anecdote. Before, uh, when I was eating squid, the only sushi, there's two pieces of sushi that I've ever spit out. One was um, had a, a raw quail egg cracked on it. Okay. 
and it was just too much. I just couldn't do it. Uh, I tried it. I couldn't do it. The other one uh, was a whole squid, like mm. one of those one inchers that you said. Yeah. Um, and I chewed and chewed and oh, chewed man. longer than I've ever chewed anything. And I made not even a dent in that thing. So I finally <laughs> just gave up and spit it out. That actually might be the last. No, it's not. I've had calamari since then. Uh, I wonder if uh, that's just like a like chewing gum. Maybe that's what it's for. And you're supposed to eat it at the end of your meal and just chew it for the next couple hours. I got you. But the thing is, I eat chewing gum. I couldn't eat the squid. <laughs> it stays in your stomach for seven years. They that's say. right. Poor. What was it? Poor kid. Didn't we name that kid poor kid? Who poor had kid. to go surgery because he had five pounds of impacted gum. <laughs> Oof. My goodness. Talk about a callback here at episode 1500 something, right? That's right. Um, well, Chuck, I don't think has anything else, and I don't have anything else. So go forth and be nice to Squid. Uh, and since I said that, of course, it's time for listener mail. Uh, I'm going to call this this is kind of a long one, but this is a shorter episode, so this is the perfect time uh, for this Mars Rock one. You pick this one out. Mm-hmm. Hey guys, I really enjoy your podcast. I thought I'd share some more interesting factoids, which is correct to say, related to the Mars Rock that was found in the Antarctic. Uh, just so happens I was working as a police property and evidence tech uh, about 15 years ago when I was called upon to store a satchel of rocks from NASA containing this Mars rock. Uh, mm-hmm. An engineer from NASA was hosting a special class at a local Air Force base in our jurisdiction and came uh, to the police department requesting storage overnight while they were in town. Uh, apparently, if you're... Uh, I never really thought about that, though. That's kind of kind of cool. That if you have mm-hmm. something really important and you're in town... I don't think you and I could do it, but if you're NASA, you can go to the local cop shop and say, hey, keep an eye on this. Yeah. You got Copper. guns. <laughs> <laughs> right. Protect this with your life. Apparently, if you are authorized to and sign the rocks out of the NASA vault, you are hmm. obligated to stow them in a high security uh, area of the local jurisdiction because they are uninsurable. That's interesting. They're considered priceless. Uh, mm-hmm. We wound up having to track them via barcode and stow them in our high-security vaults with our guns, drugs, and cash. Uh, When I returned them to the NASA employee the next morning, he was kind enough to show me the Mars rock. It was fairly unremarkable to the naked eye, a low-gloss, matte-finished brown, speckled tone. Uh, So I would imagine that this would answer Chuck's question of why they don't find these things in Georgia. Well, it's just a brown rock, just like most rocks you see in the U.S. The NASA Mm. employee explained that the trigger to the scientist in the Antarctic Antarctic, excuse me, uh, was that there was a rock at all where they were exploring. Uh, They quickly surmised that it could be extraterrestrial because they couldn't explain how a rock had gotten there in the first place, so they sent it off for testing and confirmation. Also in the satchel, he showed me a few gray moon rocks, uh, one of which he was particularly giddy over, a small white cylindrical container with a gray stone in it held firmly in place by a uh, three-arm claw. Yeah, it was holding it in its little claw. Right. It had a visible clear dome top. Yeah, you get it? (laughs) Yeah. It had a visible clear dome top so you can inspect the stone without opening it. The dome was screwed down tight. The NASA employee explained that it was a stone handpicked by Buzz Aldrin and secured in the original container and still filled with the vacuum of space. It had never been opened. Oh, my gosh. Uh, Truly an awe-inspiring experience to participate in my own little way of shepherding these rocks to their next exhibit. And that is from David. David Anonymous. David. 
That was such a great email. I love that email. I mean, it had moon rocks, the vacuum of space here on Earth. Buzz it had Aldrin. The, the Mars rock. Yeah, Buzz Aldrin made a cameo. And it was unstated, but I believe David probably thanked the NASA scientist by giving him a free kilo of cocaine from the evidence room. <laughs> and a stack of money. <laughs> uh, David, thanks again for writing in. And if you have an awesome story like David did, please get it to us via email at stuffpodcast at iheartradio.com. Stuff You Should Know is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. It's been almost 3,000 years, and Greek mythology has proved that it is not going anywhere. But it can be difficult to find entertaining and engaging retellings of these myths that aren't fictionalized. Lucky for you, I'm here. Let's Talk About Myths Baby is the Greek mythology and ancient history podcast of your dreams. I dive into the convoluted and confusing ancient sources so you don't have to. Listen to Let's Talk About Myths Baby on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is your space to explore mental health, personal development, and all of the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia. And I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there.